This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. On today's episode, from the Rhode Island State House, my one-on-one conversation with Rhode Island Secretary of State, Nellie Gorbia. Nellie Gorbia was born and raised in Puerto Rico educated herself throughout the Northeast United States, and relocated to Rhode Island in the mid-1990s. Since arriving in Rhode Island, she has worked in the private, nonprofit, and governmental sectors, becoming the first Hispanic to win statewide office in New England when she was elected Rhode Island Secretary of State in 2014. Our conversation focused on Secretary Gorbia's varied get-out-the-vote initiatives, including the development of educational graphics, websites, and experiences, all designed to inform younger or new voters about the electoral process in Rhode Island. This led to an in-depth discussion on how Generation Z and other young voters can shape the world around them by better understanding the electoral process. We also discussed Secretary Gorbia's own personal experiences as Secretary of State, proposing legislation and crafting other initiatives in the hopes of making Rhode Island elections more accessible and representative of the population as a whole. Now, without further ado, my conversation with Rhode Island Secretary of State, Nellie Gorbia. We are at the Rhode Island State House in the Secretary of State's office here with Secretary of State Nellie Gorbia, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. A busy day here as candidates are scrambling or maybe in a relaxed pace. They're just getting <laughs> getting their declarations filed. Um, so what's this time of year like for you, is these micro days here? As, is there anything? Well, for the most part, it, it, it works out fine. And, and thank you, Bill, for your uh, interest in, in this process. We... Um, for us, it's just another day at the office, uh, and yes, we get a little bit more counter traffic at elections than in other places, but the only candidates that file at our office at the Department of State are federal and statewide office holders. A lot more action is being seen at the local city and town halls uh, where boards of counselors and the clerks are, and, and local candidates are filing, to it. and it's uh, yesterday, today, and tomorrow by 4 o'clock. So tomorrow at 4 p.m., that's when we'll know essentially who's in and, and who's not, assuming those who are declared will get the thousand so signatures. That, yes, exactly. So at that point, we'll know who is going to go for signatures. And then once all of the signatures are verified, which is another process coming up, uh, then those, uh, well, they have to be collected, the signatures, and then verified. Uh, then, then we'll know who eventually is on the ballot. We have a late primary here in Rhode Island, and it's held in September, September 12th this year. Your, one of your initiatives or proposals was to move it to August. What would, what would be the advantage in that, in your view of that? So for me, it was, uh, it was a twofold thing. I wanted to uh, make sure that our military folks are, that are overseas uh, who are actually, you know, defending our right to a free society uh, would have their ballots in time. We have a very late primary, and what happens is there's a federal law that requires us to get the ballots to them 45 days, send them out 45 days before an election. Now that we have risk-limiting audits and other processes right after the election, that really 
really crunches our time. If there's any kind of challenge uh, to a particular election, it delays when we can get that ballot out. So I had legislation this session that would move it from the September date, which is the second Tuesday of the month, to the third Tuesday in the third week of August. So the third Tuesday of August. And that would give us a few more weeks to make sure that uh, that everything was was uh, certified, that all the elections were, were certified, and we were able to prepare a ballot that we were then able to send out. Uh, you know, I'm a member of a Blue Star family. My brother's in the U.S. Army, and he's fought in Iraq. And I know how hard it is sometimes to get stuff out to our troops. So I just wanted to make sure that that, that was the case, that we could do that. Um, it also helps, I think, the cities and towns in that primary elections right now happen in September when schools are in session. And so that leaves us trying to figure out where to hold the elections because a lot of the schools don't want people walking into the school grounds, especially in this day and age, uh, that they don't know. So uh, the Board of Elections and local t- cities and towns end up having to figure out where to hold these elections. Uh, schools, if we were to be able to uh, hold the primary in August, we would be able to place those elections in schools without any danger to kids or, or the personnel. And where does that stand right now? Is that something that so, looks like it's going to happen? No, the session ended, and unfortunately it's still it being held for consideration. Gotcha. So we'll go at it again next year. Let's jump to voter awareness, something that is a major issue, of course, uh, not only in the state of Rhode Island, but internationally. It's something that just people being involved in selecting their own government is seems like it's there's more apathy than ever. And there's more armchair kind of Facebook insults being thrown around and less specific awareness or messages. Your office is doing quite a bit with graphics and technology, innovations, online resources, things like this to get the word out about voting. Can you expand on that a bit and what your goals are specifically um, as Secretary of State to increase voter awareness and participation? Sure. Uh, Well, when I ran, I ran because I wanted to make uh, government work for people. And uh, I found that a lot of our materials were not really accessible to most people. Uh, I remember the experience a few years back. of trying to read through a voter referenda guide and even with a master's in public administration not really understanding some of the questions because they were in legalese and 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 I really believe that you have to position this information in a way that's digestible for people otherwise you're you're basically telling them that you don't want their opinion that you don't want their vote and so we've really revamped everything uh, here at the Department of States in elections from the design of the ballot and going from, you know, a, a rather confusing connect the arrows, which depending on the layout sometimes could be confusing, to a fill in the dots, which is a very common way of filling out forms in this day and age, to simplifying our voter registration form, our website, the kind of information that we're preparing for people. Just today, <clears throat> we tweeted out the this chart on how elections work in Rhode Island. You know, if you move uh, from here to Massachusetts or vice versa, it's a different setup for elections. Uh, so it's important for people to find this information easily. Uh, and even some native Rhode Islanders probably don't realize 
what happens at the Board of Elections versus what happens at my uh, office versus uh, at the local boards of counselors because really people are too busy. And so it's not fair to them to have to put all of this other additional work. I believe that you can provide this information in a much more easily accessible way. And so that's what we've been doing. Also with initiatives to raise awareness about emergency ballots and things like mm-hmm. this, there's been criticism of that coming from, well, on one hand, from your John DePietros mm-hmm. of the world. But there's been sort of just, I guess, confusion even from the center a bit about whether or not emergency ballots are something that everybody can use or do you have to have a specific reason to use it? Um, What's your take on that as far as where you have one day as of right now, it's a Tuesday to go vote, expanding to a weekend or just making participation um, less dependent on turning up on one specific day, I guess. So I made sure uh, to introduce legislation every single year to clarify uh, that in Rhode Island, actually, you can vote early. We do call it emergency mail ballots. In fact, really what my message is to voters is there are three ways to vote in Rhode Island. Sure, you can vote on Election Day, but you can also mail, you can also get a mail ballot delivered to your house uh, as long as you apply for it 21 days or more before an election. And in those 20 days before the election, you can do an emergency mail ballot. So really, it's a form of early voting. But it's confusing because at one point in our history, you actually had to swear that you had an emergency in order to request a ballot during those 20 days. The law has changed. You can just show up for any reason into City or Town Hall 20 days before, Monday through Friday, and say, I'm not going to be here on Election Day. I'd like an emergency mail ballot. And they'll give you an application, and you'll fill that out. And then you'll come back to the counter, and they'll have you have to either have your signature notarized, or you have to have two witnesses to your signature. Uh, they will then give you the ballot with an envelope that you also have to fill out. Uh, you can vote right there and then, which is what most people do. Uh, put it into the envelope, fill out the envelope, and then hand that over. And those envelopes get delivered over to the State Board of Elections, which then verifies the voter information on it to make sure it matches what we have in our registry. And if everything passes, then they open up the envelope and put your ballot on a stack with everybody else's approved ballots, and then those get sorted. Now, if you by any chance made a mistake on your ballot and it gets uh, you know, kicked back by the machine as unreadable, you lose your vote because nobody knows whose ballot that is, and they can't get back to them in time. What I was proposing was early in-person voting, calling it what it is during those 20 days, adding a Saturday and Sunday from 12 to 4 so that people who couldn't do this during the week could actually access uh, the ballot box. Unfortunately, it did not make it through the session, so I'm back to communicating to voters that you can do an emergency mail ballot 20 days before your election. All you have to do is show up at City or Town Hall and fill out all the paperwork uh, that you need to. Uh, because I think Rhode Islanders need to know that there are three different ways to vote. And in fact, we're going to talk about not voting on September 12th or voting on November 6th, but rather voting by September 12th or by November 6th. Just even changing that word makes a big difference because people are like, oh, by? What do you mean? Do I have other times when I can vote other than Election Day? Yes. Right. Emergency mail ballots or mail ballots to the to your own home. Right, it just seems much more accessible to the average person. Yeah. Now, people lead very crazy lives. I mean, I love all of this, and I 
you know, love voting. And as a mom now with three small kids, there are days, there are some election days that are just a challenge for me to make it all the way back to North Kingston, which is where I'm from, to cast that ballot. I usually cast it at the end of the evening because I want my kids to come with me to vote and they're going to be in school and all sorts of things are happening in the afternoon and you just can't get to it. So, uh, yeah, I, that's, but, you know, so I'm going to communicate that to the voters this, this uh, cycle. You have three ways to vote. You can vote by mail ballot, emergency mail ballot, or uh, on election day. Is it frustrating to you personally to have these forces out there that are trying to disseminate misinformation about this area? Is it? Is that? You know, when you're driving home, does that bother you? It. You know, more than anything, what, what bothers me is having a system that doesn't make it easier for people to vote. Uh, rather than focus on particular groups or anything like that. Uh, I, I feel so strongly that voting matters, that that is exactly how you hold government accountable. And that doesn't mean that you win every single election. You don't. But you need to vote in order for your opinion to be registered. And so, uh, you know, I was, I'm the candidate that wasn't supposed to win. I was not endorsed by the party. I did not have uh, a lot of money. In fact, I was outspent three to one in my primary race. And yet people voted. And the most common thing people said to me when I won for about two months until the general was, congratulations, Nellie. I voted for you. I didn't think you were going to win. And it was funny the first five times. And then over two months when everybody's telling you that, you're like, wow, a lot of people didn't think I could win. But they voted. And it's that because voting is a very solitary kind of action. It's just you and the ballot. And it seems like it may not matter whether one person or less votes. But if you ask Representative Carlos Tobón in Pawtucket, he'll tell you how much it matters. It mattered so much that he lost by one vote and had to wait two more years to run again and, and then get, re- get elected. Uh, so, so voting really matters, particularly at the local level. Right. Especially in Rhode Island, where well, anywhere it's equally important. But in Rhode Island, you know, mm-hmm. there's how, how many registered voters are there in Rhode Island? There's uh, over 760,000. Right. Still less than a million, though. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's. So, and I, you know, and particularly, you know, this issue about voting is really important with young people because uh, they tend to undervote. Uh, given they're, they're, they're part of the population. Um, in 2016, for example, millennials, or that group between uh, 1981 and 1986, uh, made up 28% of, of Rhode Island's registered voters, but only 20% of those who voted. Hmm. So you see this drop-off between what you should find in terms of how many should vote and what actually, how many actually vote. Uh, and so we've made a lot of efforts to make sure, and, and they sort of, they're, they're sort of, easily summarized in three main areas. One is we reduce the barriers to voting by reducing barriers to registration, for example. So now you can do online voter registration, which I think a lot of people use for the purposes of just changing their address. It used to be that you had to do this by paper. Well, in the middle of a move, it's hard to figure out the time to remember to do this. I get it. And then by the time you remember it, it might be a week before you go to vote or when you're checking to see where you're going to go vote in your new place, well, we have a blackout period 30 days before an election for changes to voter registration. 
which, by the way, is a constitutional uh, issue, and so I need to at some point address that in my next term, hopefully, uh, and change the Constitution to make it a, a smaller window. But right now, you if you moved and you didn't make that change more than 30 days before, you're registered at the wrong location. So we, we passed online voter registration, implemented it, uh, and now we also have automated voter registration, which means that when you go to the DMV, it, it will know that you who, it, who is a citizen and who isn't, what your address is and what your date of birth. And we'll automate the process of saying, okay, this is an uh, eligible voter. We're going to either pre-register them if they're 16 or 17, or if they're 18 or older, we're going to register them and basically ask as part of the process, do you not want to be registered? And by changing the way we do the question, we actually capture a, a larger group. It also will update the voter address when you change your driver's license address. So we have that as well, which is, I think, a really good thing to keeping our, our voting lists clean and being able to make sure that that happens. Um, so, so things like that help uh, just you know make it easier for people to register and keep their voter registration um, accurate. Then, you know, the second focus is demystifying and normalizing the voting process. So, you know, if voting shouldn't be that thing that you have to take time out of your life to do that you've never done before. But for a lot of people, they may not have gone with their parents. They may never have seen a ballot. And so we've created a number of things, particularly geared at young people, um, rivotes.org is a particular website that has a lot of videos that are just, you know, by young people for young people about why it matters. And then providing them with the tools to hopefully get them to register to really understand where it is that they need to go vote. I tell young people all the time, uh, elections are not pop quizzes. We give you the questions ahead of time. You actually have time to look it up and decide, you know, what you want to do. Um, and then the other thing that, I, that I've done that I love is we created a student election program and basically offered it to all high schools uh, so that student government elections in the high schools can happen on real ballots with real voting machines. You know, now it's not a question of a mock election that you don't really have any you know, skin in the game, but rather these are people I know, somebody's going to be happy once the machine tallies everything. Somebody's going to be really unhappy, you know, when that happens. And so it's a very personal, I think, exercise with voting at an early age that I hope will also help demystify sort of what it means and what it takes to vote. It's actually very easy to do so. Um, And then finally, I've been working on just bolstering civic pride. You know, why are you going to take time out of your life to vote? If you don't feel it matters, if you don't feel that you're really a part of something. And the truth, Rhode Island has 400 years of citizen participation in making this community work, sometimes with more success than others. But citizen activism is a really big part of our history. Um, so we created this Be a Voter campaign rather than just tell people, go vote or vote by, you know, be a voter. And that uses behavioral sort of strategies about people wanting to feel to be to being a part of something. Yeah, they're empowered to be a, a participant in yes. this 
project we've been working on for 400 years. Exactly. So, and then we also created a teacher uh, resources page on the Secretary of State's website under civic education that gives a lot of tools for teaching of civics. Uh, so, again, if you don't know what it is that you're voting for, you're not going to make the time out to, to do so. So I, I think that the reasons people don't vote are really more complex than I just don't think it matters. Uh, I mean, you do have the media sort of telling people your vote doesn't matter because it's already been bought out by corporate interests or whatever. The truth is, your vote really does matter. And, and so if we can get people to feel that sense of ownership of their vote, I think we can have a government that's much more responsive and accountable to the people that it serves. I would most definitely agree. I think it's, it's really the next step in this project mm-hmm. is going, well, going back to that root-based participation, for sure, mm-hmm. at the community level, all the way up, the municipal level, all the way up to the state level. Um, for you personally, do you, are you motivated by what's going on right now in Rhode Island? Do you feel like there's a wave of new ideas and new opportunities kind of opening up here at this point in time? And, and does that excite you? Absolutely. I, I, I feel very lucky to, uh, to be in office at a time when... You know, we are able to, one, respond back to people who want change in government, that change is possible, and that government can work for you, um, at the same time as, uh, you know, having this, this cry that, that you're hearing from people. Um, so, you know, I think of my candidacy as one of the first... Uh, sort of bellwether signs that things were different, that we weren't going to just take the establishment's recommendation, that we weren't going to necessarily just do things status quo. Um, and and so I, I feel really, really lucky that, because uh, I wanted to make a lot of changes, and I've been able to do so every single year. We've passed substantive legislation that has changed in very fundamental ways the way government works. Uh, moving it away from paper processes to something that's electronic and thought out with electronic processes, but also it's just plain and simple, easier to use by people. You are also, I believe, you were the first uh, Latino mm-hmm. state office holder in New England. I did, yeah, I know, I was. Um, wild to think about, I know. you know, but, but Rhode Island did it. It wasn't right. Massachusetts. It wasn't Connecticut. It was Rhode Island. Right, and that's it's. But it's yeah. an interesting thought. Just to, here we are. 2014 that we hadn't yet hit that point. Um, I was actually utterly shocked when I saw that. Just what's what's that perspective like? So for you? so that's you know one is my my perspective is one of pride of being part of a community like Rhode Island that's done this uh, ahead of others in New England. Um, it's also daunting because when you think about the growth of the Latino community, not just here but across the country, there are very few uh, Hispanic electeds. Uh, at a statewide level. Um, in the Democratic Party, there's only four of us. The Republican Party has probably twice as many. Right. So you're still talking within a dozen to 20 or so at the statewide level. Uh, so that's really small. Uh, and, 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 and so there's a lot more work to be done, I believe, in 
not just uh, our governments, but our political parties in terms of making sure that people are around the table. I believe that our best public policy solutions come when there's a diversity of opinions, perspectives, and backgrounds around the table. And it definitely takes longer to craft those solutions when not everybody's on the same page. But what you come out with is a stronger solution. So it's really important to bring in people from uh, different backgrounds and perspectives uh, to the table. Absolutely. It's so fundamental. It's been Mm -hmm. part of academics and art and so many other areas, science and somehow government. It just there's this perception that uh, I don't know how else to put it, but to say that white males are a lot of times or or, or in charge, you know, and I, I still feel that here in Rhode Island. Maybe it's a puritanical thing or something like that, but I still feel that. Um, advantage in politics for a white male. You know what I mean? You know, that's interesting, though, but studies have shown that actually when women run, they actually stand a better chance of winning than guys do. Um, and they're not subject to some of the questions. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're, I mean, there's some really good research by Jennifer Lawless uh, about uh, women running that point to to actually be, uh, there being a, a, almost like a women's advantage in running for office that I don't think it's discussed very much um, so I think that that for women the challenges are more structural in nature in terms of you know somebody like me who's got kids who's got a husband how do you balance the demands of what's basically a 24-7 job with the fact that you want to be a part of your family's life uh, and so that takes uh, some some creative uh, workarounds, and uh, you know I've been you know as I, I tell people every day is an adventure, and there is no one path to getting elected. You just have to figure it out on your own, and whatever works for you and gets your job done is what's the right path. Last area, of, uh, if you don't mind, like. Uh you seem to love Rhode Island. Is that, that's a fair statement. That's a very fair statement, yes. <laughs> Is that fundamental to, to working in government in Rhode Island? You, I should think that be? so. I mean, it should be. If you don't love Rhode Island, um, you know, I think one of the more challenging times that we've had are when we have people in government who also don't love government. I mean, you can... I, I fully appreciate the role of the private sector. Absolutely. I've worked in the private sector. Uh, I've worked in the nonprofit sector and in government, and and each of them has a very important role to play. Um, but I believe the government can work and work well, and be more accountable and more effective, uh, and is critically important. Um, I love Rhode Island. I mean, it's it's the kind of community where you do get to know people. I mean, somebody like me who did not grow up in Rhode Island, who's lived here basically twenty six years. Uh, can over that time period get enough experience and get to know the state in a way that I can get elected statewide. There's not a lot of other places where you can do that. And so, uh, and the history is just phenomenal. Um, that's one of the more fun parts of my job is that I'm also keeper of the state archives. Really? And that's amazing. Uh, you need to go down to Westminster Street, 337 Westminster Street, downtown Providence. We have our state archives. Right now we have a Gatsby exhibit wow. uh, called uh, Patriots or Pirates. Right, right. Uh, and so uh, basically, you know, you find that Rhode Islanders have always 
been a very engaged community. Uh, you know, and you know, for sure, there are times in our history that are not that great. I mean, being at the center of the slave trade, yeah, the Triangle Trade, yeah, for sure. not a good thing. And we have to come to terms with that. But we also have points of pride, like having the Greens, Nathaniel Green and his relatives, who are all critical officers in the Revolutionary and the Civil Wars, um, to be to have the, the basically the first shot for independence be the gas bait. Uh, and you know, despite what everybody gets taught about the the Boston Tea Party, um, you know, and it's funny because I was on a um, on a trip with my family the first year, and we stopped at Valley Forge, yep. and we went to the the park, uh, the U.S. Park Service uh, Center there, and I'm looking at the timeline of Rhode Island uh, of the Revolutionary War. And sure enough, the first thing what they named was the Boston Tea Party. Really? And then they said that New Hampshire had been the first to uh, declare independence. And I was like, okay, I have issues. Yeah, what are we doing here? Yeah. So then I go to the desk and I say, okay, who do I need to write to? Because clearly you've got problems over this timeline and I'm Secretary of State of Rhode Island and I need this corrected. (laughs) So I actually did find the name of, they did find me the name. I wrote in and so just a correction, they admitted that, yes, they understood why I had issues with the timeline. Uh, gave no assurances that they would change it, but I, I did register my concern. Uh, and I want children in Rhode Island to know this history. It goes back to being a part of things. The the number of immigrant different immigrant communities that have sort of come together in the state, uh, whether you're Hispanic and you're one of the more recent groups, you know, there's something that you can identify with, like the French Canadians in Woonsocket. Um, or the Portuguese and the Azorians and the Cape Verdeans uh, in East Providence. Uh, there are a lot of shared uh, experiences that are part of what makes us Rhode Island that I absolutely love. And going back to the King Philip's War, there's also mm-hmm. just sort of a something, some empathy that we've had here, going back to how we handle interacting with nature and, and Native Americans, and mm-hmm. I don't think that's left, I think, yep. well, other than one state police raid, you know, in 2004 or whatever, the, mm-hmm. on the smoke shop, there had, you know, we seem to be empathetic to Yeah, although I think, so I don't, I don't know if, if, if empathetic is the word that I would use, I do think that there have been more attempts over our history to try to engage in a productive way. I mean, Roger Williams' history with the Native peoples uh, is, is certainly something that is commendable given that time period in U.S. history. So, Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm very uh, proud and I feel very blessed to be Rhode Island Secretary of State. Um, and I look forward to hopefully doing so for the next four years and actually finding a real home for, for example, for our state archives, mm. which uh, we are sadly the only state in the union that does not have a public facility for its state archives. Wow. Uh, and so we've got some work to do on that over the next four years. Important stuff as part of your broader mm-hmm. civic pride initiative. Really. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Gaining that stake in this, as we've said, long-term project. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you so much for your time. Super busy time yeah. in your world. Um, and hopefully we'll speak again. No, thanks so much, Bill. Right. Thanks. Take thanks. care. As always, thanks so much for listening to the Bartholomew Town podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. You may also find us at BartholomewTown.com or RIPodcast.com. 
Until next time, thanks for visiting Bartholomew Town. We'll talk soon.